live from WNUR News. I'm Micah Sandy. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1. Ever since Chicago, it's Friday, April 21st, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News. From crosswords to chess, more on how Northwestern students try to pass the time in class. Theater takes on Renfield, the latest Nicholas Cage movie story behind the unwritten rules of nicknames, and this week's edition of Fairweather Friends. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. With technology becoming innately connected to the classroom, many students find themselves attempting to multitask during class. But, according to research, multitasking may not be as effective as one might think. Ella Barnes has the story. Picture this. You're sitting in the middle of your Journalism 202 lecture. It's silent. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone's taking notes in their computer. And then you hear... Someone forgot to turn off the volume on their computer before they finished their New York Times mini crossword instead of paying attention during class. Embarrassing, and something that has totally never ever happened to me, ever. The 21st century brought new technology into our lives and schools, and along with it, new distractions. On the one hand, both teachers and students now have the whole internet at their disposal, allowing for classwork and assignments to be online. This has greatly improved research resources and the accessibility of education. Today, you can even get a college degree online. On the other hand though, having technology to connect you to the rest of the world at all times provides unlimited opportunities for distraction. Students have games to play and social media to scroll through that they can instead focus their attention on instead of completing classwork. Hi, I'm Abigail Lev. I'm a first year from Long Island, New York. Many students like journalism major Abigail Lev turned the New York Times game section for their methods of in-class distraction. I always played the New York Times spelling bee. My roommate and I actually have a little competition every day in which we go to our first class and try to see who can get genius first and then if we're struggling we'll text each other and be like compare question mark or um can i get some help or anything like that so i if i'm not paying attention in class you can find me on the new york times games website theater major oliver tam also says he plays games to keep himself occupied during class i play solitaire i play chess I play, um, what else do I play? I do crosswords. Those are the main three, I'd say. I'd, I'd say those are the main three. Some might say those are more like educational leaning games. Do you think there's a reason you play those games specifically during class? Yeah, it's because I can, like, if I'm playing like a real game, I feel more invested in it versus those games where it's just sort of like something to do and I can still kind of focus well, not, like, completely, like, going off into a different world. So do you feel you can, like, multitask and, like, also pay attention while playing those games? I would say I don't have my full attention on the class, which I probably should, but I I don't. But I can have at least some amount of attention where I'm not going to be, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to even remotely absorb anything that's going on. And do you think this has anything to do with, like, shortening attention spans? absolutely absolutely i didn't do this before before i'd say like i don't even know before i started like before honestly like the rise of like tiktok and instagram reels 
and like all the YouTube shorts if you're if you do that um, and yeah because once I started getting into that and you know the the uh, the attention the attention spans of people start getting shorter mine included I feel like I think that's me being like understimulated and wanting to like do something uh, or multitask multitasking is a dangerous path to go down Humans, in fact, are destined to be monotaskers. This means that we can really only focus on one thing at a time. According to neuropsychologist Cynthia Kubu, quote, when we think we're multitasking, most often we aren't really doing two things at once, but instead we're doing individual actions in rapid succession, or task switching. One study from Psychonomic Bulletin and Review found that just 2.5% are actually able to multitask effectively. For the rest of us, our attempts to do multiple activities at once aren't actually that. According to another study found in Mater Sociomed, when our brain is consistently switching gears to bounce back and forth between tasks, especially when those tasks are complex and require our active attention, we become less efficient and more likely to make a mistake. So bouncing between games, social media, typing notes, and actually paying attention in class is not the best method of learning. According to Dr. Gloria Mark, a psychologist and the Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at the University of California, Irvine, our attention spans have been shortening for a long time. In her book, Attention Span, the groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity, Mark explained how decades of research has tracked the decline of the ability to focus. She said, quote, In 2004, we measured the average attention on a screen to be two and a half minutes. Some years later, we found attention spans to be only 75 seconds. Now, we find people can only pay attention to one screen for an average of 47 seconds, unquote, said Mark. Frightening information. So, how can we get that attention span back on track? Well, there's a couple of ways. Regaining your focus requires you to be mindful of how you are using your technology. A daunting ask if you consider the average American spends at least 10 hours a day on screens. A student, for example, might combat technology used by printing out their reading assignments instead of reading them on a screen. This way, full attention can be devoted to the reading and there won't be the temptation to click away to another tab. Another method in particular that students can try in class is to take their notes on paper. That way, you force yourself to actively listen to your professor and actually take notes since there's no games to tab away to. Plus, you won't have to deal with the embarrassment of the New York Times mini crossword jingle playing in the middle of a lecture hall. For WNUR News, I'm Ella Barnes. Moving on to arts and entertainment, Nicolas Cage is back in movie theaters. Max Milo talks about the iconic actor and his new Dracula film, Reinfeld. No, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Don't worry, it's just Nicolas Cage, the icon himself. An actor renowned for his somewhat odd or exaggerated performances, Cage never fails to entertain. His most recent film, Renfield, was no exception. Sorry to interrupt. Renfield stars Nicholas Holt, 
If you haven't seen the menu, I strongly advise you go watch it. It's fantastic. And co-stars Nicolas Cage. Holt leads as Renfield, Cage's Dracula's loyal assistant who starts to imagine an independent life of his own, far from his master's clutches. As one might expect, Dracula isn't too happy with his assistant's newfound desire to leave. The movie brings to this story comedy with a side of gore and action. As a movie lover and Nicolas Cage aficionado, I went and watched it as soon as I could. I left the theater thoroughly satisfied with Cage's performance. Holt was wonderful as well. I flagged down some fellow moviegoers for their opinions. Um, I'm Ellie, and I love Nicolas Cage in every movie he's been in. <laughs> um, and it was a very Nicolas Cage movie. It was terrible, but very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> and uh, hello, my name is Iris. Um, it was real kitschy and very... Wasn't a lot of surprise to it, but it was a fun time. Renfield was, in fact, a bit all over the place. I asked them to try and connect it to a genre. Like horror comedy? Uh, like a self-help parody, almost. A horror comedy self-help parody. The Letterboxd reviews are even better. One user, Tyler, said Nick Cage could do Twilight, but Robert Pattinson couldn't do Renfield. Another, Reese, stated, I genuinely have no clue who the intended audience of this movie is. And my personal favorite, user Hillyello, wrote, Nicolas Cage didn't even know that he was filming. He's just doing what he does every day. Without spoiling too much, I'll tell you some of the fun plot points. Renfield, who possesses powers similar to those of Dracula, is in a dependent relationship support group. Ben Schwartz appears as the overconfident son of a crime family queen, and Aquafina plays a cop trying to live up to her father's legacy. For some reason, there are repeated references to ska music, but most importantly, Nicolas Cage plays a fantastic Dracula. He's sassy, he's evil, and he's as unhinged as ever. Um, I, well, my favorite movie he's done recently is Wally's World, um, because it's kind of like a Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, ripoff, and he literally doesn't talk through the whole movie, and so I think he's really cashed in on his persona, and he's got it down to a T, and so he can just, like, live his, the rest of his life being his true self. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I was a big fan of Wally's World, as well as, uh, I think it was The Unbearable Weight of Immense, Immense Talent or something. It was yeah. such a fun time, loving Pedro Pascal as well, and they played off each other really well, in my opinion. Um, also just a big fan of his work. The man does play to his persona, the idea of Nicolas Cage. There's truly something indescribable about Nicolas Cage. Regardless of the script, the cinematography, or just general quality, his presence alone makes a movie worth going to. If stop focusing on his needs, what would happen? He won't grow to full power. Exactly. He won't grow to full power. What? That's so weird. Why would you phrase it like that? But yes. 
Renfield is playing in theaters now. Give it a watch. Go for Nicolas Cage. For WNUR News, I'm Max Milo. Ever wonder why people aren't a little bit more creative with their nicknames? Kara Totley lets you in on some of the unwritten rules there are to creating a person's nickname. Nicknames. You either love them or you hate them. A nickname is an informal name used to replace someone's formal one. It's the reason people named Alexandra go by Alex or Allie, Elizabeth, Beth, Zachary, Zach, Joseph, Joe, or if your name is Richard, you may even go by Dick. Why is that? Why isn't Alexandra Andy or Dra, Zachary, Ackery? Who made these conditions for how a nickname is derived? Well, in linguistics, we take a scientific approach to the study of language. That was linguistics professor Jennifer Cole, who serves as the linguistic department chair at Northwestern University. My name is Jessica, but I go by Jess because Jessica is kind of a lot to say, and Jess is just cuter and easier. And my name is Sarah Young Park. I go by Saren because my parents decided that a more westernized name would be easier. When people remark that a, a certain name or word is difficult to pronounce or difficult to remember how to pronounce, that's almost never really about a physical difficulty with making sounds and more about whether the word or the name that they're trying to pronounce is very much like other words or names that they already use very frequently in their language. This creates our first unwritten rule in making nicknames to use sounds that are familiar to us. The sounds that are very, very common across languages tend to be sounds that are relatively straightforward to implement using your vocal tract. But more importantly, they're also sounds that can be perceived accurately most all the time. My name's Rebecca. Some of my friends would just call me Becky, and I'd be too nervous to correct them. When I was in middle school, I had a nickname, and that was... Milo. When I first came to the school, they didn't know how to pronounce my last name, Milo. And the nickname just kind of stuck. The pronunciation of words changes over time, and that's a natural process in language. All words undergo changes, and those changes usually involve processes that make the word shorter or easier in some ways, get shortened, compressed, easier to to produce and the parts that get retained are the parts that are the clearest, the loudest, the more most likely to be heard clearly by the listener. So that makes two rules now. Simple misinterpretation of a name can be used to create a nickname that is deemed to be more accurately heard. Oftentimes nicknames are a way that we show social intimacy with somebody. If you adopt a slightly different name for them, a pet name, a you know, a kidding around name or um, a special version of their name. It's a way of showing that you have a social connection with them, which is somehow more intimate, more close. My name is Caleb Shim, and a nickname people have called me before is Shimmy, because obviously my na- last name is Shim, so then they just add the Y to the end, because like it's also like a, a dance move or something. Why don't we call her Molly? Because Molly McGee, just like, it's got a ring to it. My name is Abigail Lev. Most people call me Abs, and I think that it started from when I was 
really young, my mom always hated the nickname Abby, so she tried to rack her brain in order to think of other op- options to call someone named Abigail. It started off with a lot of silly nicknames like Abadadudu or Abs of Steel. And then from there, she just shortened it to Abs. And ever since, I've been going by Abs. And there goes our third rule. Well, not really a rule, but more so a condition. Some nicknames are created because they just sound nice and it is a unique twist to a person's name, a creative way to show a connection to someone. So those are some of the unwritten rules when it comes to the creation of nicknames. Does your nickname follow any of these rules? Was it created because it's easier for people to say, an incorrect pronunciation that just stuck, or something cute created by a loved one as a sign of affection? Whatever it may be, it still follows these conditions in one way or the other. For WNUR News, I'm Tara Totley. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.18 p.m. Central Time. On this week's edition of Fairweather Friends, Brandon Condritz discusses weather tips as we approach tornado season. Welcome back to Fairweather Friends. Each week, we give you a peek into the local and national weather. This is my first time on Fairweather Friends, but there's no shortage of hot and sometimes cold weather takes to discuss. From Evanston, Illinois, this is Fairweather Friends. Okay, it's the second to last week of April, and the weather is just about as unpredictable as whether or not I'll have a tan by the end of spring quarter. Last week was beautiful, with temps reaching into the 70s and even the 80s, with plenty of sun and the occasional cloud over the weekend. But alas, all good things must come to an end. And on Monday, it snowed. Yes, snowed. Temps were in the 30s and 40s, and although they climbed back into the 50s and 60s throughout this week, with the occasional downpour, nothing was like summer in April. Looking ahead, you can expect temps to hover around the 40s and 50s through the weekend and into next week. It'll be mostly cloudy in Chicagoland on Saturday and Sunday, but the sun will peak out to make for partly cloudy skies as you kick off another week of work or school. Precipitation-wise, we may see the occasional shower. And although the weather isn't predicted to be severe anytime soon, I find it my duty as a lifelong Midwesterner to remind you that tornado season is upon us. According to the National Weather Service, nearly 80% of all tornadoes occur between April 1st and June 30th, during the late afternoon and early evening hours. Here's what you need to know if a funnel cloud chooses to form wherever you're listening from. Be aware of the difference between a watch and a warning. Watches are issued when conditions are favorable for tornadic activity, and a warning means that an active tornado has been spotted. If a warning is issued for your area, take shelter immediately. Head to a basement, or if you don't have one, the innermost room of wherever you are. If possible, avoid picking a room with windows. For added protection, get underneath something sturdy. Follow your local weather team on TV, your phone, or something similar before, during, and after any type of severe weather. I have plenty of fond memories of following WAND-TV's chief meteorologist J.C. Fultz through many storms back in the day. This isn't a complete list, so be sure to check out resources such as the National Weather Service and the Red Cross for more tips. That's all for this week's edition of Fairweather Friends. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay warm, cold, dry, however the weather chooses to behave that day. For WNUR News, I'm Brandon Condritz. Taking a look into the headlines... Eight Northwestern faculty were named to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. 
Vice President for Administration and Planning Marilyn McCoy will step down this August after 38 years in the role. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Brendan Condritz, and our reporters are Ella Barnes, Kara Totley, Max Milo, and Brennan Condritz. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Micah Sandy. Catch our next newscast on Monday, April 24th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.